Before we begin today's podcast, we have a bit of sad information to relay. Jan Hansen, a beloved member of the Virgin Valley Artists Association, an amazing watercolor artist, has passed away at the age of 80 on September 30th, 2023. Jan's family will be in our hearts and we will all truly miss the creativity that flowed from Jan's heart. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue for me and you. And I think to myself. Virgin Valley Artists Association welcomes you to the Art Box, recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association has something for everyone of all ages. Come and get creative with us at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, or on Facebook as Mesquite Fine Art Center, also on Facebook, The Art Box. We're glad to welcome uh, Mark Brandvik. Yes. I got it right. Hi, Mark. Hi, Hello. Mark. Who drove all the way from Las Vegas to our studio in Mesquite today. And we learned about Mark from his piece of public art that's going to be commissioned soon. Not commissioned, but... It's it's dedicated. pretty much already finished, installed, but they're planning a dedication sometime in November fingers crossed. So hopefully early November before the time changes so we don't have folks from Vegas coming out in the middle of the night to see it because I think we're planning a, an evening dedication. Early November hopefully fingers crossed. Sounds good and Steve and I will be there if at all possible. Would love to have you folks and any any members of your art community or art appreciators out here in Mesquite. Great. Um, please let them know about it. Now I'll, when I get that date nailed down I'll, I'll be sure to send you out the official Okay, and I'm, I'm sure Vernon will be have a, a big to-do about it as well. Yes. So Steve and I were driving out by Overton. We were actually heading out to Burke's Good Deeds yes. for another interview. And we thought, oh, we have to stop and look at that piece of art. It's quite fantastic. And then Linda tried to climb on it. <laughs> And then the police had to come and put a crime scene tape around oh, it. But that's another story. That's another story, yeah. <laughs> so it's a sculpture. Yes. And you were commissioned to do it by Clark County. Clark County. Uh, okay. the, the Clark County Public Arts. It was a, I think it was two or three years ago. It's been a long time now. There was a call for artists to submit proposals. Prior to that, it's typically typically the way it's done in, in a lot of public art calls. There's just a request for qualifications. And then that's narrowed down to uh, finalists. So I was fortunate enough to be selected as one of the finalists, and then I gave a presentation. At that time, I um, we were doing everything virtually, so I just you know called in. I think it was a WebEx call for my studio, and the other artists artists, in fact, there were just two of us, gave a presentation. And they selected me, and so the, you know, so it started. But it's been a, a fairly long process to get to this point. 
not the least of which has to do with the logistics, the the distance from Vegas. It's an hour plus from my studio to the site. I decided to work with local contractors as much as I could, so having to deal with their scheduling and, and all that good stuff. It was well worth the effort. I'm happy with the, the work. And you built it in your studio? Yeah, most of the work came together in my studio. I did use licensed fabricators, in, mostly in Vegas, to do some of the work. Some of the work uh, had to be fabricated outside of Nevada. In particular, there's a, a top pinnacle piece, a rocket piece. Mm -hmm. It was 3D printed out of stainless steel. A company in Colorado. Um, oh, 3D printed. Yes, yes, that was quite involved. And prior to that, I had to build a, uh, well, I had a company in South Carolina build a 3D model for that so that they could work off of. And so that, so those files, I couldn't just pull a file off of uh, off the interwebs. I just had to had to build something, or they wouldn't they wouldn't sign off on the production of it until we did that. So it was it was an involved process, but I wanted that part of the sculpture to be note perfect, and so it so you know it does reference um, in a historical spacecraft, a Saturn V rocket, and so that had to be perfect juxtaposed against those other forms that you saw. Now, that, how does your art fit in with the old land art? That was the initial prompt of the of the work. They wanted a work that functioned as a gateway, in a sense, to Michael Heiser's double negative. And so I thought, well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to nod to his work, but also be true to the work I want to make? So I ended up taking sort of an historical approach. So a lot of my work includes certain historical elements and sort of pop iconography. Uh, particularly from the time, that era, when earthworks were being created. And so I, w I thought there was a symmetry there in terms of things that we were doing in culture that were quite aspirational. I think land art is an example of that. Going to the moon is an example of that. And so it just turns out that that, that double negative was started in 1969, the year that we sent astronauts to the moon. So I thought there was something there that was interesting. I also had done a piece of sort of guerrilla-style artwork out in the desert, out in Valley of Fire that, that suggested a rocket plume lifting up out of a rock pile. So I had already had an idea of what I could do to, to marry these two ideas. So I was thinking about things like uh, Southern Nevada's history with like, uh, like blast, blasting and explosions. And uh, that's, in fact, how Double Negative was created. It was blasted and then bulldozed out. Of course, a rocket blast has a very to look at it, they were very similar looking forms. In fact, if you look at this booklet, you can see this is an image of where, when, when they were using dynamite to blast out double negative. And so oh, you can wow. see it's very similar to the forms I'm creating. This is that little this sort of work I did out in the desert. By the way, I've done this in various locations throughout the country in very different contexts, and it is quite it's sort of a guerrilla setup. I set up my, my models and my uh, diorama mm -hmm. materials, set it up, and I tear it down, I leave no trace, and the only thing that's left is the photographic evidence. So oh, wow. that's kind of okay. what, uh, that's what, uh, what I was thinking about when I encountered this commission. So I was thinking about all of these things. And then to further the uh, connection, there's a lot of secret geometry between my art and the and double negative. As it turns out, the distance between the the length of the actual historic Saturn V rocket is a one to four ratio 
uh, between the actual distance of double negative. So I wanted to maintain that in the sculpture. So the the top, the pinnacle form, and the rock form on the bottom maintain that that same ratio. So those kind of things are uh, were important to me in the development of this. Wouldn't necessarily be apparent to someone, a casual observer, but that's uh, that's another connection. So there's a lot of those kind of connections, and then there are connections with the uh, local geology, the the collapsing dynamics of erosion, the explosive dynamics of, you know, things like mining and land art creation and and the like. So in my mind, there is a there is a there is a connection, but it's very subtle and it's not. I wanted to avoid a work that said that pointed to another work. You know, I just wanted to make a connection. On the, uh, if you go visit the site, I've also put two, two um, informational plaques that kind of mm-hmm. discuss this, this symmetry. And there's one uh, dedicated just to uh, Michael Heiser's work, um, so it gives the viewer directions out to the, the site if they wanted to go visit. So I don't think the county, this might be the first time the county actually produced anything like that, any kind of Wayfair sign or informational plaque dedicated to that. Of course, folks know how to get there. Whenever I've been to the site, people from all over the world are down in that trench with me. So obviously, folks know how to get there. You had mentioned that you were there with an assistant near the end of the project, and an interesting gentleman drove up and stopped at. Oh, that's that's right. My my assistant, Max, who has helped me throughout most of this project, um, we're buttoning up a few details uh, related to the installation. And an older gentleman just walked up, and apparently just drove himself up to the, the site and got out of his car and walked up. And, and Max said, hey, there's a looks like there's someone here interested in the work. And the gentleman said, hi, I, I built double negative. And, of course, I think he was surprised when I said, are you Bryant Robison? <laughs> he was like, uh, I am. And uh, because, you know, being a fan of uh, that work and, and doing a little bit of a deep dive, I knew who um, worked on the on that piece back in the late 60s. So um, it, was, it was amazingly uh, chipper and agile, and he walked around the work, and he didn't have a lot to say. He just said it looks like a lot of work. Um, and we, I was he more interested. Yeah, I was more interested in in him and and whatever stories he wanted to share related to the creation of double negative. So he shared a few anecdotes, and I was really honored that he came by and visited. And uh, that kind of, I think that kind of completed it for me in a way. So that was happy to I was happy to have him come see the work. Yeah, and he's he's really a nice guy. Yeah, and, and as we've mentioned, you, uh, I understand you, you've interviewed him for this podcast. I'm looking forward to listening to that. Seems like an interesting fellow. He's got a, probably seen a lot out there. But uh, Oh, I bet. Yeah, a lot of change. Yeah. Although that's still a small town. Yeah. I think the whole valley's 6,000 people. Well, I love that you use the ratios in your mm. work and that you also brought in the history of Nevada. Yeah, that was very important to me, being a native of of the area. It was very important that I have that in there. brought up you're a native of Las Vegas. Your, I am. Your dad 
was in Las Vegas as a jazz artist, correct? Yeah, he uh, he came to town in the 60s. He was a jazz musician. There was a lot of work out here in the hotels. He was part of a few house bands. And as we discussed off the air, a lot of entertainers would come through and they would use the house bands. They would that would back up their act and that that was still an era of popular live music. And so as a consequence, there was a lot of work for for a jazz musician. So that's what brought him to Vegas. He met my mother here, who was a cocktail waitress. Oh, really? <laughs> um, they both lived in an apartment on the Strip that uh, is where the Stratosphere Tower now stands. It's called the Dubois Apartment. So true story. And they uh, they just they met. And it sounds like a Nicolas Cage film, I realize. But, <laughs> but it's true. They met and started a family and raised us in Vegas. So we didn't know any uh, different. We just, uh, it just seemed like a great town to grow up and play in the desert and uh, it just so happened that mom was a cocktail waitress until I was I was a young kid when she decided just to, to be a full-time homemaker and my father ultimately uh, went back to school got his teaching degree and his credentials and taught in the school district for 20 years taught band as a matter of fact okay wow yeah so he uh and then after retiring from that went back to playing his music up until the time he passed a few years ago but he uh so that's really why that's how i happened to be uh born in vegas yeah there's not that many natives you know it's certainly not then here you are certainly not then now i think it's you know it's a very big city now, so I think there are, you know, I teach college, so I would say a lot of my students, 18, 20-year-olds, were, were born in Vegas, born and raised in Vegas. It's not as, as surprising as it was when I was in high school. It was rare to see another native, so. I can remember coming here for work, and we got in the car one night and said, let's go see where people live here. Mm-hmm. And there was houses and people and school buses. And Amazing. We were like, well, I called my wife and there's people that live here. Did you know that? <laughs> I think you still get that occasionally, surprisingly. After all these, all these years, folks still are amazed that there's an actual town there with people doing just regular stuff. Just regular people stuff. Mm -hmm. So, Mark, were you in your dad's band? And how did you start your your creativity as an artist? Yeah, I was uh, begrudgingly recruited to be in my my dad's junior high school band. I'm not a musician, and and I don't claim to be. I wasn't particularly good. I think he humored me and said, yeah, yeah, you're making some interesting uh, sounds with that clarinet. (laughs) But my, my mother convinced me to take band class when I was in junior high school because how many opportunities do you get to have your father as a teacher so my music career lasted seventh grade eighth grade and and that was it I'm sorry your other question oh your art career when did you start loving art we we get some people that say they well we have interviewed an author and she said before I even knew the letters I started writing on paper Mm -hmm. before I even learned how to write letters and we get some artists that say they knew the first time they picked a crayon up, they loved it. So I, I think I've always loved making things, creating mm-hmm. things. A lot of the adults that were 
mentoring me at the time when I was growing up, going through high school, of course, wanted to steer me in a direction that uh, included um, financial security and a good job. So I got into architecture initially, oh. and that was my first love, my okay. first creative love. Even though I think I was always more inclined to just make stuff and discarded boxes and what have you around the house. So I was always doing these kind of things, building little things. So I, I actually went in that direction initially in college. It wasn't until I took a painting class by default because I didn't, I wasn't able to get into a literature class that was full at the time. So I took a painting class and the instructor there just lit a fire under me and I realized this is probably where I've been wanting to be all along. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know it. Didn't know you could, there was this community of like-minded folks. And so I just sort of took off from there. There were some hints when I, when I was taking some architecture class, I, classes, I did some, you know, I took rendering classes where you would render buildings in perspective. And I remember the, the professor wanted us to include uh, figures for scale. And I thought it was fun to like put Batman and Robin in there for scale, <laughs> just because I thought, you know, it gives you a sense of scale. Uh -huh. And I remember him having taken me back and having a private conversation and saying something like, I, I don't think you belong here. I think you probably belong in the art department <laughs> or somewhere else. And I didn't, it, it still didn't click with me even then. I, I didn't, uh, I didn't put two and two together until probably a year later. But I think, I think I probably all along, that's where I was supposed to be, but I just didn't. It took that person a relatively late in life. As you mentioned, a lot of artists realize when they're five, but it wasn't until my early 20s that I realized that this is the direction I wanted to go. And That's my art origin story. And you have two art degrees, correct? Yes, I have a, a BFA from UNLV, and I have a, an MFA from uh, North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I teach art currently at the College of Southern Nevada. Okay. I started teaching in grad school in North Carolina, and then I stayed there to teach a little while longer. Then I moved back and started teaching at UNLV, and I taught there for 14 years, and I've, I've been at CSN for 10 years. That's another fun part of what I do. Teaching is not something I had ever planned to do, but I realized early on I, I had something I could share and kind of a natural rapport and camaraderie with the students. I really enjoy what I do. In fact, I think it's really important. It informs my work, and my, my work in turn informs my teaching, so I embrace it. What was the impetus to go East UNC? My mother uh, was raised in North Carolina, so she's from the South, and I just always wanted to spend some time in the South. I don't know in what capacity, so this, an opportunity came up. In fact, I could only afford to apply to one graduate school at the time. I was, money was really tight. Those were back in the days when you had to ship a packet of slides. <laughs> you may remember those days. And I remember shipping this packet of slides to UNC. I had, you know, I could afford one, so that's the one I wanted to do. And, and fortunately, I got in and I was able to get some grant scholarship money to help fund my time out there, so. How did you deal with trees and not being able to see 20 miles and humidity and bugs? And Actually, that's very interesting that you mentioned that. That was one of the things I had to deal with. That was one of the challenges. I couldn't see the horizon. And it just seemed, I see, it seemed claustrophobic to me. I was so used to the, the, the vast expanse of the American West. And so to be in that environment, that closed-in environment, was, was something I had to get used to. But I started to see the East Coast and all that sort of carpeting of foliage and the, the change of color. I started to see that in terms of painting, and I started to see the West more in terms of sculpture. I grew to appreciate 
the change in the landscape. So much so that when I would come back and visit Vegas, I felt I felt sort of open and, and exposed. I wanted I wanted trees. I was like a cat. I wanted to go under a table and, and, and feel protected. And so I, I think that's not unusual, my experience going from the vast arid lands of the West to the the verdant um, climes of, of the South in particular. North Carolina is a very green, green, lush state. So I did enjoy my time, but the humidity and the bugs, that's another factor. How did that impact, although I think maybe you just told us your art was spending your time back there. You said that was more painting and your more I, I don't know. sculptures here. I'm not sure how much it changed my art in a sense at that time, but it certainly served to reframe the way I saw and looked at the landscape in general. And I think that it's, it's hard not to have that kind of thing inform what you do. I can't say directly how it may have informed my work. It's certainly outside of just changing the way I I perceive things. So so in that sense, it was a very valuable experience. And, when, and I grew up back east. So when I go back now, I try to envision that with the trees and everything, what it looks like underneath. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's really... Here is there. You just can't see it because of the trees. That's true. That's true. Would you like to tell us about some of your recent projects? Yeah, you have a, a list there. Maybe uh, I do. You can go uh, any anything here that looks uh, interesting. Well, I, I want I wanted you to talk about the Cosmopolitan in five, four, three, two, one. Oh, okay. So Cosmopolitan. I don't I don't know how this happened, but there was a an arrangement between the Cosmopolitan and Vegas and the Art Production Fund in, out of New York City, and so there was a space there called P three studio where artists were given a five-week residency. I was fortunate enough to be selected for one of those residencies, and I just built a I created a work that uh, that took the full five weeks to to be complete. Each in the, in that particular piece, I just did a I did a large kind of transparent sculpture, freestanding sculpture that was made up of transparent panels that were done in CMYK. Each week was a different you know cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. And at the end of it, it created an image, and it was actually. Uh, surprise, surprise, it was a, a launch, um, uh, a rocket launch. So, uh, no. but I kind of thought of it as, thought of it as this kind of collective effort it, that it took to get something aspirational off the ground. So it was really, it was a pleasure to work with uh, just random people that came into the studio. Could They could have been from anywhere, but they were mostly guests of the Cosmopolitan. But when you do a five-week residency, people get wind of it, and then folks from the community come in, and they want to help, and they want to see where this is going. So it was really it was really great. I was also able to take advantage of the marquee sign on the strip, so I did a, a piece for that as well. So that was, that was, that was a great opportunity. So you had all these amateur artists come in. Yeah. I, how, how did you control them? I just had to create a scenario in which we couldn't really fail. Uh, so just paint anything blue right there. And you, can do, you can, in fact, I gave them stencils so they could use a stencil. So the image was made up of lots of other smaller images, so it kind of created a color field. And so I tried to make it as uh, fail-proof as possible. But, you know, folks being, uh, when they come in there, they get sort of the creative juices flowing, and they decide to color outside the lines a little bit, and that's that was great. It worked out. It was, it was perfect. And they probably went home and wowed their relatives and friends. I tell them I participated in a piece of art, I, that's, and, that's and, it, and it saved me $1,000. <laughs> 
That's possible. I, I sure hope they they had a, a wonderful experience. That's that's going back uh, quite a few years, so it's been a while. That unfortunately, that program ended a number of years ago. Really was sad to see that that go. Well, quite a few interesting artists that did projects in that space. Is your Greenfelt Jungle Gym still at the Clark County Government Center? No, that that was a piece that was just a temporary work that was installed, again, going back a few years. But it, it was installed, um, I think, for a period of three months, perhaps. And that piece was kind of referenced Vegas architecture, particularly like strip vernacular architecture, the the, the buildings that kind of rendered in and uh, uh, rendered out of metal posts, so it kind of evoked a jungle gym or a training ground of some sort. And that was a that was an interesting piece to work on. You have some upcoming projects. I do. In fact, there's a show I'm going to be installing here in a couple of weeks that's related to the this uh, this big earthrise sculpture we've been we've been chatting about. The uh, it's called Artifactual. It's going to be at Available Space Art Projects, otherwise known as ASAP or ASAP. It's in Commercial Center, and uh, I'm excited to work with Holly and Homero, who actually opened their studio, their personal art studios, up to artists to you know create projects. So thank uh, thank you. Shout out to those uh, folks for uh, inviting me to do that. But that show is going to be a collection of artifacts and ephemera and models, maquettes, some video documentation of this work out here. So it's kind of a, a little bit of a preview companion piece. I have a, I'm also excited about a, a show I'm going to be curating involving folks, students I've been fortunate enough to work with at, at my current college, College of Southern Nevada, called The Coyotes. The working title for this is going to be Wiley Coyotes. The, so I'm working with three artists now. We're looking to stage the inaugural show here probably in the next 12 months. We're, we're looking for a space, and of course we need to, uh, you know, they need to get work ready. But that's, uh, I, I, I can see this being maybe... Uh, a once a year, once uh, every two year kind of event involving folks I've worked with or someone who has a connection to College of Southern Nevada. So I'm excited about that. I like to do that. I, so every now and again, I wear a, my curator hat and I may, you know, like to put together shows and, and uh, work with other artists. When I looked online, I was doing a little bit of a search for you earlier. Okay. And I saw a piece that you did. Okay. It was a firearms accented piece, part of the final tally exhibition, ex- inspired by politics. You okay. want to tell us about that one? Okay. I was that, I thought Actually, that was really inter- interesting. Actually, oh, so it's interesting that you bring that up, and I'm glad that you did. That is not my work. Oh, really? Yes. Um, I, I, someone brought that work to my attention um, a few years ago. And uh, my name was attached to this firearms piece. And it's, in fact, for the record, that is not my work. I do not know who the artist is, but I know really? that my name. And, and those mistakes do happen on the Internet. My name is also attached to the face of another artist, a local artist. And uh, I've wondered, oh, how, do, how do we go in there and correct that? But I think it just gets, gets trapped, in the, uh, trapped in amber on the, uh, wow. on, on the Internet. So you can't explain that. I can't explain that. I can't explain that work, but I believe the work you're, you're, you're talking about 
about has something to do with uh, guns in school or I, I it's been a long time since I saw the image but it's uh, but yeah for the record that is not my piece so anyone listening out here and and they do a Google search and they see that work that's not my work um, well well that's good to yeah yeah get at. so I can't really comment I can't okay. comment on the work other than it's not mine that's that's interesting that you because we didn't talk about this before this uh, mm-hmm. this podcast but that's interesting that that came up so that's uh, I just want to clear that for the record. Do you think artists think in a different way than somebody who's not an artist? Like musicians probably think in a little bit different way than somebody who's not a musician. Musicians, when they listen to music, notice things that non-musicians do. So do artists notice art in a different way, or, or is their thinking a little bit different? I would say in general, yes, okay. probably. Certainly, I don't think that I'm unique as a human, but I think I just, I, maybe I'm looking for things and celebrating things and investigating things that only another artist perhaps would be interested in. Does not mean that, you know, I'm any different than anyone else, but I just use, maybe I use my capabilities and my facilities in a different way. So being an artist, yeah, you you have a built-in camaraderie and connection with other artists because you know they're they're out there looking at similar things, maybe not the same things, but similar things. And they're certainly contextualizing their experience in a way that, that you can probably understand as another artist. You started out as more of a representational artist with your architecture. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. When did you make the jump to, I want to make something that is meaningful? It doesn't have to be representational. It doesn't have to be beautiful, but it needs to be meaningful. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think they were all meaningful to me. I have a, a maybe a slightly different take on uh, representation vis-a-vis abstraction. I think it's all essentially abstraction, and by the same token, it's all essentially representation. So it really depends on how you want to frame it and view it. I think. The representational work I'm often involved in just gives, I think it gives the viewer an entree into the work. It's sort of comfortable seeing something that seems familiar, even though it might not be. And I think I've always been drawn to those kind of experiences, too. And then once you offer that gateway, that portal, then other things start to expand out of that. So that's that's why largely I've, I've worked in that arena. What's your definition of creativity? That's a tough one. I, I suppose, yeah, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> the, the Okay, I'll, let me read the answer I gave you. The impulse, imagination, and process to usher something new into existence, which I think is kind of a, a general catch-all definition for creativity. But I did add that extra bit there, and that is for that something new to have a reason to exist. And that's always a challenge for me as an artist. I mean, I have sketchbooks, mountains of sketchbooks with ideas. And I think the creative impulse oftentimes just ends there. But taking the taking some of those ideas to the next level is often a matter of logistics, economics, opportunity. So there's maybe that other level for me 
some of these things that I've, these ideas that I've created probably should only exist in sketches. And sometimes maybe they should only exist in conversations. Maybe they shouldn't even be written down. Conversation we're having, for instance, although it's largely going to be recorded, but I, it's, it's always kind of that a challenge to figure out what makes a work worthy of that next level and, 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 and indeed having a reason to exist. And that's something that's been something I've been thinking about a lot lately. You know, not just making work just for the sake of making work. At a certain point, you realize you don't have forever on the planet, so you want to make your time count. And so you want to bring whatever creative endeavors you involve yourself in. You want to make them count, and you want them to have a reason to to exist. So at least for me personally, they have to, has to satisfy that in me. So that that's sort of my uh, definition, I guess. Yeah, how, how many great ideas remain on the sketch pad and never come to fruition? because of economics. Exactly, yeah. And how many, and conversely, how many not so great ideas mm -hmm. do we have to live with forever <laughs> because someone had the means to uh, usher them into existence? Uh, I was um, thinking about that. <laughs> but, but we're not gonna name any. We won't name any, but I'm sure uh, you go to any large cultural institution and you might uh, you might see those. But that's all, it's all amazing too, I think it's all it's all worthwhile. And perhaps maybe because it exists is, is the reason it exists. Mark, do you have any other interests? Uh, I love to, uh, when I get the time, I love to hike this wonderful landscape. Uh, that's one of the one of my main activities. I like to just get out in my vehicle and explore the vastness of the West. I'm, I'm a curious cat, so I do, uh, I'm always wondering what's going on around the next corner, or what's happening in that back alleyway, what's going on in the... Uh, you know, that crack in the pavement. So I'm, I'm always looking and investigating. Do you have some favorite places to hike? You mostly hike around Las Vegas or do you get out to Gold Butte some? Um, you know, I, I, have, I haven't hiked around Gold Butte mm -hmm. that much. That's the area where Virgin Peak is and all that yes. stuff. I, uh, I'd like to explore that some more. I've certainly hiked all through the Spring Mountain Range, which includes Mount Charleston and Potosi and Red Rock, Mount, Red Rock Canyon and Valley of Fire and just Parts beyond. I, I love. Uh, I love to uh, hike in the Great Basin. Uh, the national park up there is beautiful. I don't know if you guys have ever um, explored that area. I it's up not. near Ely. Uh -huh. and it's beautiful. We've explored everywhere <laughs> around here, and, and all you know through Utah and, mm -hmm. and California. So yeah. that's something I really like to do. I think it's a. And we, we, we live in a really, really good spot for that. Yeah, well, especially, well, if the weather's, the weather cooperates, sometimes in the summer it's tough. Um, then you have to head to higher elevations. But, uh, no, I've, I've, uh, I've managed to hike uh, all around the country. A lot of urban hikes, too, which I consider hiking. I, I like to just play the flaneur and just, uh, when I'm in New York, just have no direction and just start walking. And just uh, who knows where I end up in four hours, but uh, I always find that to be a very edifying experience. Yeah, I, I have a, free, a friend who recently moved from Atlanta to Harlem, and he loves it. Okay. Uh, he's right there in Harlem in New York City. Yeah, yeah. And he can walk anywhere and do anything during the day. Mm -hmm. He comes back at night. But he's just having a blast exploring the museums and, and the park and everything else, so... Yeah, so there there are good hikes in urban oh, it's, areas. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful um, place to hike. In fact, there are natural areas even on the island of Manhattan. You can. Uh, uh, last time I was there, I was hiking up there. Uh, 
the very northern tip and uh, you wouldn't know you were in the middle of the biggest city in the country when you get lost back in some of those trails so that's really uh, it's really fascinating surprise yeah and I mean I do a lot of that in in Vegas in my own neighborhood I live in the in the uh, the central urban core in Vegas near downtown and uh, I'm always discovering something interesting we'll say or your travels influenced your art? Uh, I would say uh, I would say yes in um, in that they provide oftentimes you know you're you're inundated with all the things that happen in life and when you hike and you find yourself hiking particularly challenging and strenuous trails uh, there's a point in the hike where all you're thinking about is the next step the you know where you're placing your next foot in your in your journey and I think you're able to clear away a lot of that noise sometimes my best ideas will begin to develop and emerge and percolate on that blank canvas I think something similar happens when I'm um, driving on the road and just the hum of the road and the and you see the landscape passing you buy at 75 miles per hour or whatever for your country road uh, hopefully slower but you're uh, I think you know the rest of the world just sheds away for a, a bit and you're able to just think about those things so I would say indirectly yeah and oftentimes directly too if I if I see something out there that's uh, particularly inspiring you mentioned horizon lines and and seeing the horizon uh, out west versus out east that's something I'm always always thinking about is the figure ground sky ground relationship and I think a lot of my work kind of deals with that sense of stability that I think is implied in that figure ground relationship and so I'm always kind of maybe looking for the horizon I'm always looking to be grounded in some way even though some of my work maybe suggests an ascent or an uplift if you'll notice a lot of them are are, are kind of it's kind of a very stably grounded kind of structure and my paintings too I think evoke a lot of that I think the painting we really haven't discussed much of the my my painting which I haven't focused on a lot in the last few years that's probably more related to that western landscape that we've been talking about yeah let's talk about your paintings they're uh, oil acrylic um, you know, a mix of everything. For the longest time there, I was just working with enamels on hard surfaces, so I was able to get effects that you probably couldn't necessarily achieve with oils and acrylics. So a lot of spray, a lot of sanding, a lot of different surfaces I was after. Surface juxtapositions were important to me. I think for a long time there, I was uh, really interested in, in vernacular architecture, particularly architecture of my hometown and maybe buildings that were not so celebrated but things that were important to me. And oftentimes I would set those in landscapes that were not unlike empty, vast space. So, you know, thinking about this recently, I realized a lot of my paintings kind of of buildings almost look like uh, they couldn't be spaceships. I mean, I think of things like Spaceship Earth and things of that nature. So there's oftentimes takes me a while to connect my own dots. I'm sure I'm not the only artist that takes a while to... Uh, that, that has to kind of look back on their 
creative efforts and, and uh, make those connections. But you know, in some of your paintings, you can tell that you were probably an architect at one time during your life. Really, or at least a fan of architecture. Yes, and yeah. I was, and it's still my first love. And a lot of what I learned in terms of rendering, I learned in architecture school. In fact, I a lot of my lectures I give to my students on perspective comes out of what I what I picked up in architecture, not not necessarily from my art experience, but uh, so it, it it still informs my practice and my teaching to this day. Yeah, they get a little bonus. They do get a little extra <laughs> of your earlier career wandering. Yeah, yeah, and I bring in I try to bring in uh, my past experiences with everything from mural painting to uh, sign painting. You know, I was an art handler for a number of years in Vegas and, you know, helped with, like, uh, gallery uh, preparation. I was a preparator for for some time there and and back in in North Carolina. So I think all of those things, you know, somehow trickle down into, uh, you know, my teaching practice. But I think I just, I really like that that you do something and then, then you bring it up in another career or in another line. You know, it comes in, you use it. I think that's great. Yeah, and I think really that's all, that's art. That's what art really does, right? I don't, I try to bring in uh, my experience from outside the art world and bring it into the art world as opposed to just being a tempest in a teapot and just, you know, a, a perpetual echo chamber where I'm just referencing other art. I mean. That never struck me as particularly interesting. I mean, it can be in some cases, but I, I just always wanted to bring in my my experiences from outside of the uh, the art space and, you know, sort of give it a, a, a different, fresh audience and see, you know, see what uh, what they think of it. So that's that's yeah. sort of what drives me. And that's uh, I, I love that defining art on the fly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's some part of that, too. Yeah. Are your paintings on exhibit anywhere, or can they? Uh, can our listeners look at a website to see some of your? Work? I, uh, I I do have a, an old dinosaur website that has not been uh, updated in, in quite a few years, but there are paintings on that website. They can just Google my name. Okay. Um, some other work will probably come up if they do a, a, a search. But I am I am involved in a painting. I uh, was invited to be part of a painting show that's going to be exhibited in Los Angeles in 2025. And so I'm, I'm excited to get back into some painting. I don't, I haven't abandoned painting. I mean, I still teach it and I demonstrate it for my students. So I have a lot of, I have lots of like half finished paintings. <laughs> uh, and, but I don't, and, and I do, and I still occasionally make work, but um, this last, this last project was pretty all consuming. And there are actually, I would say, painting elements there there are glyphs that are carved into this work that are that I compose and I I think a lot of about you know two-dimensional work and and painting and drawing when when I when I worked on some of the facets of these forms so but right now currently that's how some folks could could if they wanted to look at some some earlier work some of that architecture work we talked about in fact I think there's some work on the website that goes back even further some of my sort of pop pop narrative uh, stuff that uses a lot of the same materials but the subject matters are a bit different sunshine lollipops and rainbows everything that's wonderful is what I feel when we're together brighter than a lucky Land art, now that we're, you mentioned double negative again, I just think there's something 
about land art that has to do with travel in the West. There's, there's something related there. For me, the first time I saw Double Negative, the experience didn't start when I pulled up to the two trenches. The experience started two hours before when I got in my car and I decided to drive out there and navigate the landscape. So I think I think a lot. that's what a lot of those uh, land artists uh, had in mind when you, it was not just the, the work, but what the context in which the work exists and how the viewer experiences it. Mm. And, and I would like my work to be experienced in a similar way and hopefully only time will tell. But that's, uh, so that's how it would potentially relate to that. Yeah, and you never know, Heisner's still around. I've I've heard various uh, accounts of of of, of him. So uh, who knows? He could love it, or he, he could hate it, or just dismiss it outright, or ignore it. But uh, you know, there you go. Yeah, I'm not sure, but he invited Brian out to the city. Oh, that, yeah, Brian's been out there. I, as I understand, just chatting with uh, Brian, they uh, they still have a. You know, they still they still chat and they still have a relationship, so that's great. I've never been out to the city. Have you? No. You know? One day. One day. Yeah, I'm not sure. It. Do I want to go? I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing about Brian, and I don't want to hijack this podcast, but he, he explained that he did all that work, and Heisner had just put down eight stakes, one, two, three, four on one side, and four on the other. He did that exacting work just off of four, I don't know whether they're assuming wooden stakes mm, that mm. Heisner drove in the ground. Mm. Wow. That sounds about right. <laughs> and now you realize how you would do that exacting work? Oh, my goodness. Or you probably wouldn't do it. Yeah. I don't know if that kind of work can be made in 2023. Um, would, you would have a lot more hurdles to jump through. Oh, I'm sure. Done. Probably one of the reasons we look back and... and uh, in awe at a lot of that stuff. So turning towards the future, what excites you about your art? I think just a continuation of what we've been chatting about. I think uh, I'm you know, excited about uh, producing more large-scale sculptures as the opportunities arise. I'm um, excited to get back into some painting, excited about the, curating these shows, and always always excited about teaching. I, I learn as much from the students as I ever hope to teach them, so just uh, excited about the next trail and the next inspirational moment that I get from that. Mark, what has inspired you this past week? It's it's funny you mention that, and, and I was serious. Uh, the weather... <laughs> has inspired me more than anything. We all live in this uh, increasingly hot desert climate, and uh, I would just I just felt so uh, fortunate to experience this cooling trend. I'm sure you guys have too, and it just gives me a new pep in my step. So right now, I'm inspired by the weather, the cooler weather. I also mentioned the landscape, but we've been talking about that for a good chunk of the podcast. But right now, weather, clouds, cool, uh, I love it can't get enough of it we're entering my favorite season in fact i i like i like all the seasons out here but i i think i just get a renewed energy and hope and enthusiasm um, when october rolls around and and hiking season starts uh, uh, yes hiking season (laughs) and good sleeping weather season and just you know all the good stuff that comes with cooler weather so that's what's what's inspired me in the last week and hopefully that mean that that be that stays an inspiration for months to come well i thank you for driving from las vegas to our studio here in mesquite today for this interview it was fascinating and i appreciate it very much and thank you uh steve and linda for expressing an interest in my art and inviting me to join your uh, wonderful podcast (laughs) 
Broadcasting from Mesquite, Nevada, in the scenic Mojave Desert, the Art Box sponsors thank you for listening. To find our next and past podcasts, find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, where all accompanying images and links are available on the Art Box page. Questions, comments, opinions, and concerns can be sent to artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Virgin Valley Artists Association.